episode three of the Tales and Trials of Research, a podcast from the Undergraduate Research Initiative at the University of Saskatchewan. My name is Brooke, and I'm the Program and Communications Student Assistant at the Initiative. And I'm Merle Massey, and I'm the coordinator of the Undergraduate Research Initiative. And today we have with us our special guest, Sydney Murray. Hi, I'm so happy to be on the podcast. Uh, just a little bit about me before we start. My name is Sydney Murray. I'm a master's candidate in toxicology here at the U of S, and I completed my undergraduate in toxicology here at the U of S as well. And that's why we have Sydney with us today. Sid, we want you to tell us about how you came to be an undergraduate student conducting research at the U of S. Okay, that's a loaded question, Merle. Where would you like me to start? <laughs> what year were you in and how did you get involved in the first place? Yeah, so I've always known about the research that's gone on on campus, but I never had really been a part of it in my first and second year. In my third year is when I actually decided I wanted to do tox as an undergraduate degree. And I was in tox 200, which is poisons and pollutants. And everybody takes it in the University of Saskatchewan because one, it's a mark booster, but it has a lot of interesting content. And one of the professors at the end, he gave a lecture on Parkinson's disease and how that relates to toxins. And he had a slide at the very end of his lecture and said, hey, I'm looking for new students. I've only been at the university for a year. I would love to talk to any of you that are interested and I kind of mustered up the courage after lecture and said okay this is my opportunity I'm gonna go do it so we talked we chatted and he we booked a meeting and this is why I always say to students that are looking to do research is that you got to be positive you got to get your foot in the door because an opportunity is not going to come to you you have to go for it so we chatted and then in January because this class ended in about December he said, you know, and this is Dr. Michael Wu out of VBMS. He said, we can offer you a paid kind of job internship deal research through TURIP, which is a program they have in toxicology. And I jumped right on and that's kind of how it got started and rolled into summer research, which then rolled into my honors project. So I hope that answers your question to get us going here, Merle. It absolutely does. So I really like how you emphasize that that students really have to take their own initiative. This is about this is about deciding that this is something that you want to do and then you go out and you take a look and watch for and pay attention to any opportunity that might come your way. When when you first went to go talk to him, did he have any particular questions for you? Did you have to bring any particular experience to the table? What was that conversation like? Yeah, so I had no previous research lab experience. I had just taken a few classes in my undergraduate degree that teach you some lab skills, but I was very honest about that when you're having that conversation because you don't want to sell yourself as something that you're not. I'm not saying that you kind of undersell yourself, but I had just let him know I'm really eager to learn. I'm a hard worker. I've taken these classes that relate to some of your research and even one of the things that I highly recommend if you are going to talk to a professor is read their articles that they've just published, read what they're doing online, because you want to impress them with how much you know about what you're going to be potentially learning. And just having that enthusiasm and even if you're shy or maybe timid, you kind of just got to look within yourself, build up that confidence and be really approachable and friendly. What were some of the things that you learned working in the lab? What were, what were some of the, um, um, 
maybe your best experiences and, and, and then we can talk about maybe the, the oopses that perhaps happened and how you dealt with those. Yeah. I, I always love how the podcast is called The Trials and Tales of Research. I would almost call it The Trials and Tribulations of Research because there are those pluses and those minuses. Starting off with some of the positives that I have learned or some of the critical thinking skills that I've gained is you have to persevere through times of uncertainty because research is all about uncertainty and things never go the way that you want them to go. You hope for the best, you prepare for the worst. And as an undergraduate, you really just try to be perfect all the time in everything you do. Assignments, extracurriculars, all this other stuff. You try to fine tune what's my max performance and what can I do. But then you get to science and it basically tells you, sit down because I'm going to teach you about patience. And so I think that's the number one thing that I gained as a researcher was one learning that patience and knowing that if things go wrong it's not a me thing it's a science thing and of course yes you make mistakes and that's totally okay but the second thing that i have learned is that it is one thing to know something in theory so let's say you know how to do a gel or run a plate or take samples and you know how to do it but until you actually do it that knowledge means nothing for undergraduates that I feel like don't have any lab experience, but have all this theory. You don't know how to troubleshoot. You don't know how to work through problems. And like I said, critically think through issues that arise. And that's probably some of the biggest things that I've learned and have taken with me into my master's degree so far. I actually those have, are, those are oh. excellent skills. No, go ahead, Brooke. I actually have um, just a question that, um, is my own personal question um, about this. Um, I haven't had too much of a chance to talk with you about your research activities at the last few years. So this is exciting for me. Um, so what was the most challenging part of the research process for you when you were an undergraduate? So was it something like um, sorting through the literature that exists around what you were studying or understanding statistical processes or what was the most challenging part for you? That is a lot of different ball games there, Brooke. But uh, yeah, there's definitely a lot of things. First of all, statistics. I think no one wakes up in the morning besides a stats person and says, I want to do stats today. Um, but I don't think it was the stats because there are amazing programs that you learn about later on that can carry you through and help you with those. But I think it's more the technical aspect. So let's say it's pipetting or it's just learning those skills that take time to get to know but they're so they're the foundation in research you think of a pipette and for those of you that maybe you're listening and don't know it's like literally dispensing microliters tiny tiny amounts of liquid into certain things and so that can be that's all about your finger and how well you're doing it and so I feel like that in and of itself can be a challenge starting out so to answer your question, Brooke, I think it would be just the technically learning that muscle memory of working in a lab, but then also there are so many good and bad literature sources out there and you don't really learn it as an undergrad. I could probably count the times on my finger where I'm trying to write a paper for a science class and instead of reading the whole entire article, I'll just go to the abstract, find two sentences, pull it and then put it in my paper but you don't know how good a quality that paper actually is and so by citing it as a researcher as a research student you're trying to say i stand by this i'm using it to 
base my argument of my scientific research but if you're not looking at those things and you're not validating those things then how do you know what you're looking at is actually good besides just pulling something from your abstract so i hope that answers your question brooke yeah no that's actually i'd never really thought about um sometimes like you know, obviously when you're doing research, you think, oh yeah, I'm going to need some technical skills here to actually like collect data, but you probably don't think about the actual, like, I need to be able to manipulate this tiny little piece of equipment and like do it well so that my results aren't skewed. And yeah, I'd actually never thought of that, but it makes sense. And even the troubleshooting, there's so many high tech machines that we use now in science. It blows my mind, but those machines don't work perfectly and you have to know kind of what went wrong or what you did. So there's also that component too. Um, another question that came in um, on our Instagram from a student um, was, what do you think you improved upon the most over the course of your undergraduate research? So as an undergraduate researcher, what's something you did that now you can do really well that maybe wasn't true a couple years ago? So more like a technical skill or it can be anything. Oh my gosh. Oh, um, I, I, if we're talking philosophically, I think not jumping to conclusions as much, you have to be patient you have to wait. And if your data tells you something that you didn't expect, you have to listen to it. You can't force what you wanted to see. And the thing is funny. We were talking about in our in the lab meeting I had we were talking about manipulating data and how some scientists do it and I think people kind of assume it's a malicious thing but once you are so enthralled with what you're doing and you really fall down the rabbit hole and you really put your heart and your soul and your time and everything into it you want your data to speak the story that you think it tells but that's not always the case so you have to take a step back and really listen to what it's telling you on paper the other thing that i would say i would learn was yeah those technical skills pipetting um really having sterile technique everything nowadays is dna so that means any little thing can contaminate your samples Uh, even today i was working with an rna extraction which means i'm trying to get dna from my samples and that requires just microscopic movements and amount of patience So I think that's a really broad question, but I hope I kind of summed it up both ways for you, Brooke. Yes, no, that's that's really great. I'm sure um, the student that asked that will be pretty happy with that answer. That was both technical and philosophical. So loved it. Um, (laughs) Yeah, Merle, do you want to take any other questions here? Absolutely. Sydney, I, I am curious to know. So, you know, you had you clearly had such a good experience. We can hear it in your voice that you learned so much and that and that uh, and that it's really added. But tell us about how that added to your schoolwork. Did it did it have an impact sort of because you said that you had your first experience between your third year and then your senior year. So how did that research experience sort of feed back into your schoolwork? Oh, honestly, tenfold. One, I got more enthralled with the program that I was in because toxicology, and I think any program, has so many different fields that you can do and so many different opportunities that it takes you. But the thing about research, I really feel like because you're not just picking one thing, but so many other things, you're more excited to get going because it's kind of your baby or it's more something that you're looking forward to. The other thing, like I said, going back to that theory, you just keep learning theory your whole undergraduate degree. And unless you're doing a lab, you're not, lear- you're not technically in the lab doing it. 
So we would had have a test, let's say in my fourth year, it was about methods in toxicology. And I feel like in undergraduate, and I don't, I don't want to speak to everyone's undergraduate research or just experience of undergrad in general, but you read it, you memorize it, you write the test, you throw it up on the paper and then you get rid of it. Like I, I could not tell you right now how, like just, just minor countless details. But when let's say my test, for example, one day was on uh, SDS page, which is used to identify proteins. And I could honestly tell you that whole process because I had done it in the lab. And I could actually explain to you why things do the way that they do because I had learned it and gone through it. And I think that's really lost if there's not a, a lab component in research, even if you just want to better your studies as a student, I really think that research is the way to do it. I also know that there are horror stories when it comes to research and we'll probably get to that a little bit more. I haven't had a horror story, but you hear things and I think that deters people from doing research. But there are so many positives that come out of it. It's worth getting invested in, even if it's a term or a fire project, I think is what you guys call it, that it's so worth it in the end. Did you think when you started university that you would become like a graduate student researcher? Because um, you definitely hear of people in like, you know, first year, second year saying, oh, I don't want to do research. Like, I'm not interested in that. And, you know, and then all of a sudden they end up in something totally different. So was that you or did you sort of have an idea the whole time that you were interested in researching? Um, no, honestly, I think. I knew that I loved school. That's just, that's really, really nerdy to say, but I always loved learning. I always loved kind of getting out there and using my brain to kind of figure things out, but no. And it's funny because when people say, oh, like you're a researcher, I feel such imposter syndrome about that. I feel like I'm still a student and I'm always going to be a student, even if I'm a master's candidate. And I don't think that feeling ever goes away, but I, I hear that a lot in my first and second year. Everyone's like, I don't want to do research. And I think that people, the first image that comes to their head is someone in a white coat pipetting a thousand things a day and they just do nothing and they go home and that's what they do. But that's not even remotely close. And because there are so many different things out there, you can find something. There has to be just one thing, even if it's a niche area of science that you're going to like and it's going to spark your fancy especially if in your in a bachelor of science degree no i would have never guessed and honestly it was because of my undergraduate research because i didn't even know that that much about graduate studies i knew that people did it and that was about it but once i started my undergraduate research i actually determined what that looks like i had met other master's students I met other PhD students, I'd gotten to know them personally, and I heard about their stories and why they decided to do it. And if some of those stories resonate with you, you're like, oh yeah, I definitely do this in my life, or that's definitely something that I've thought of and I've wanted to pursue. So I think it was that, Brooke, but no, I've never never grown up and been like, when I was six, oh my gosh, I wanna be a scientist studying fish. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, definitely. For anybody who's interested, Sydney and I have known each other for like going on 23 years now. Yeah. So, you know, we've we've definitely seen each other through all of our little what are you going to be when you grow up phases. Um, One other question and then I'll throw it back to you, Merle, if you have anything else Um, that came from our Instagram here. 
is what advice do you have for undergraduate students who are interested in pursuing research opportunities? What's that golden rule that you have for them as the number one thing they should do if they're interested? Oh my gosh. Um, I honestly, I'll say this again. Email, 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 talk, phone, get your foot in the door and you have to be okay with being rejected from professors who don't have the funding or already have students. But if you go in there also thinking that you're going to not get a job, that you're going to, they're going to see right through me. I don't have that much experience. You also have to understand they have once been an undergraduate student as well. That feeling of some days I have no idea what the heck is going on. They have been through as well. Your experience doesn't define how good of a research student you're going to be. I think it's your work ethic, your ability to persevere. When you get kicked down seven times with an experiment, you get back up eight. And the last one that I, I really wanted to emphasize Everyone wants to find stuff in their data like, oh my gosh, I found this crazy conclusion and my p-value is amazing and my stats look fantastic and I'm going to be, this is going to be great. But the thing is, if you don't even get anything, nothing comes of your research, you've eliminated one possibility that now you can look at something different and that in of itself is an achievement, even if it feels like nothing. I was talking to one of my friends and she was growing plants and she was looking at chemicals on plants and all of her controls died and we were kind of talking for anybody who's out there that's kind of the your control group is what you compare against your treated group and you want those babies to live whatever they are plants fish worms because you want to be able to compare a normal versus a treated but they had all died and we were kind of talking and she had such a great outlook on it because she said well now i just need to determine what killed them or what went wrong because that's just going to eliminate one other thing that I have to deal with and that I can push through when I go to do it the next time so I won't make the same mistake and I know I'm kind of answering a lot in this one question but don't be afraid to make mistakes I used to be so scared of making a mistake and feeling like it was the end of the world but every single person who's made a mistake has learned from it research is all about making mistakes and I would argue probably 40% of the time even if it's not even your own mistake it's about learning from those mistakes that makes you a better researcher, a better student, and I would even argue a better person. I think that's just amazing. Thanks, Sydney. And one of the points that you said sort of earlier in that answer was was that don't take it personally if a professor says no to you. It could just mean that they already have too many students on their docket or they, you know, haven't heard about their most recent grant or they just finished a grant and they don't have a new one yet. So, you know, their funding situation actually makes a big difference or they're heading off on sabbatical for a year. It could be any kind of reason that has nothing to do with you or your ability as a student. And so I think that was a really important point, and I just wanted to kind of bring that back up and, and reemphasize it because it it, it 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 can throw some people off, um, but it, it it just takes that determination and the willingness to say, okay, you don't have room for me. Do you know of any other faculty in a related area who you know might be looking for a student? And and sometimes just turning the conversation. The other thing I, I like to say, Merle, and this is kind of sidetracked, but I want to get it out there. If you don't have a 95 average, that doesn't make you less of a research student. And I think there's this opinion, and I don't know, that you need to have 90s to be an amazing researcher. Because I guess funding, they look at your grades a lot. But I know some amazing people who are doing amazing things. And they did not get 
90s. I think they got 70s or 60s. Don't let your grades define you when you walk into that office and ask for a position because it means nothing. It's true, actually, and my office has, has uh, uh, collected some research and some data on this to showcase that sometimes those top-tier students getting those 95s, they're excellent at memorization, but not so much excellent at, at ro uh, hmm, uh, moving with the punches, let's put it that way, uh, when you're in the middle of a research project and, and, and sort of um, rolling with, with the adversity that sometimes comes your way. And so, yes, absolutely. Sometimes those, those, those 60 and 70, you know, average kids have that tenacity and grit and drive that, that actually helps you um, as much as your marks or more when you're a researcher. I, I'm glad that you brought that up. Thank you. I think this has been an excellent interview and we really appreciate your insight, Sydney. Um, Brooke, anything that I've missed? Um, not that I can think of. Um, I know that, of course, students are always interested in how they can find uh, research positions and they want to hear from not just their professors and uh, faculty about their experiences, but they want to hear it from people that are their peers and that have done it recently. So Sydney, thank you very much for doing this with us because I know that a lot of students uh, look for those student role models and you're a really great one. So thanks. Oh, I, I, I hope I didn't talk too much, but I really am glad you guys have given me a platform to come on here and hopefully motivate or even just let one person know that they can do it because I didn't think I could do it when I started and now I'm doing a master's degree and I just you you couldn't have told me that before I wouldn't have believed you so just go for it because that's what matters the most and that might be exactly what we call this particular podcast just go for it thanks Sydney <laughs> yeah thank you so much you guys talk to you all next time <laughs>